I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. I'm Mike Morgan, and we're back. We're back this week with another WoCast. Joining me as ever, my Cody, my sister from another miss, that is G. What's going on, G? What have you been up to over the last seven days where we haven't recorded Shots Fired, we haven't recorded woke, the WoCast? What, what have you been doing yourself? Man, I've been working like a slave. And secondly, wow. <laughs> secondly you're coming in hot. <laughs> right, right. And secondly, I'm dealing with this um, on and off hot, cold weather in New York. And right now it's like 91 degrees here. So wow. Dealing, no complaints, but loving it. <laughs> okay. Well, on the docket today is UFC Fight Night, Rosenstruck versus. Sakai. And um, I think that this is kind of a nice easing back into the UFC. We didn't have any UFC to comment on, to talk about, to actually give our um, takes on um, last weekend. But this weekend, I really do feel that this is the right card to put forward to actually ease us back into UFC action. UFC fight night, Rosenstruck versus Sakai is what we're going to actually run down, preview, actually not preview, but post for you talk about um, our conversational style around this card. Now, I think first off, um, I'm going to chime in first to say that I was obviously quite excited about this card. Not only did it have a huge European contingent, so from a European perspective, a lot of eyes were on this. Um, people like Marcel, Big Marcel, you know, that type of audience would be really, really, um, I suppose, on the same wavelength in terms of the runners and riders in this. But particularly from my perspective, I was really intrigued and quite interested to see how, first of all, Tom Brees would fare because the last time we saw him, um, he's actually succumbed to a loss against Amari Akhmadov via arm triangle, that submission um, that saw him take a loss in January 2021. And of course, uh, the, the dragon, Mason Jones, um, those two were my Brits abroad that I was looking forward to actually seeing. Mm. And um, as we're gonna find, uh, as we go into our runners and riders for the prelims and main card, that there was some um, almost uh, Twilight Zone-esque um, shenanigans that actually transpired with those two. First off though, I think it's only right, um, considering we are conversing um, in a very, uh, what actually met our needs, floats our boats in terms of conversational um, pieces. I want to start with you, though. In terms of the prelims, what struck out or what kind of like stuck in your memory is noteworthy? Um, let's see. I thought Tanner Bosser versus Alir Latifi was noteworthy, but I, I can't say it was the most exciting fight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you start with that. You know what? Yeah. You know this actually takes place in the morning for us. And Tanner Bosser, Ilya Latifi, sent me to sleep. 
I, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but it's facts. I fell asleep during that fight. And when I woke up, um, I was a little bit disorientated because I thought, ah, oh, well, how much have I missed? Because Ariana Lipsky and um, uh, De La Rosa are actually walking out. I'm like, huh? But we're going to come yeah, on to that. Yeah. But talk me through Tana Bosa and the Ilya Latifi. Why was that kind of like noteworthy, considering, like I say, what I saw of it, it sent me to sleep. What I found interesting about this fight is that Ilatifi is now in the heavyweight division. He's had a couple of fights there, but he hasn't had much luck um, in the heavyweight division. So, and then we also know Tanner Boster is like a blooming prospect. But what I thought interesting was that Ily took to his wrestling and he took Boster down. He dominated in top position and he tried to drain Boster's gas tank. But, you know, second round, Boster started to use some feints. And although Boster is like explosive and he's quick, Mike, I still think he's got some work to do. He seems a little bit raw. Like we watched Mm. him, you know, get a little beat up by Andre Olowski. And now this time, Ily Latifi... um, what's it called, exposed that his issue with wrestling. Yeah. And, um, but I'm going to tell you, in the second round, I thought um, Bosser had him. He kind of clipped him and people thought it was an eye poke. No, that was a punch. And Illy fell down and I thought Tanner was going to ground him, pound him to death. But no, Illy went back to his wrestling and basically dominated him with his wrestling and grinding. But again, Mike, not the most exciting fight. And I think Tanner Boston needs a little bit more work. He's either really flashy and going to knock somebody's head off or he's having trouble with making adjustments and fighting someone that is giving him problems. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so would you say that Ida Latifi is more suited to heavyweight than light heavyweight though? Um, I'm not, I don't know yet. I mean, because when he first started fighting in heavyweight, I believe he lost to like... Um, Derek Lewis and Vulcan Ozdemir. So those are pretty tough guys. So let's see how he does fighting, you know, guys like Tanner Bosser and maybe not people in the top of the division. And then we'll go from there. Mm. Okay. Well, I'm going to double back for mm-hmm. my noteworthy, um, well, participants on the card. Um, still sticking with the prelims. I'm going to start off, though, with uh, Marion Fiorot and uh, Tabitha Ricci. I... I implore you if you have not had the chance to see this and it it, it only went to round two but the relentless pace of Marion uh, Furot and incidentally I was kind of like intrigued by her anyway because her only loss if I remember rightly came by way of our girl Leah McCourt um, Mm. who uh, got the decision over her when they actually locked horns but I, I was particularly intrigued by this because I'd heard how ferocious, I think her, her nickname is The Beast. And I think that's quite apt. Man, she was all over Ricci with solid hooks, jabs. She had the whole shebang actually mm. unleashed upon Ricci. And it, it looked as though, you know, Ricci was trying to get in there and trying to like, you know, to use wrestling and take her down, but she just could not get her hands on there. I think that, um, a lot of people looking at this might have think or might have thought that the stoppage was a little bit early. I thought it was just right because like I say, you know, Ricci was being lit up. And um, I know that this is always uh, your moniker. This is always your cry. Keep your eye on the prelim. Always watch the prelim. <laughs> now this kind of like underlines that because 
this was the real gem. And I really enjoyed this fight. I really thought, you know, this was definitely worthy of note. It was definitely worthy of interest. She literally battered Ricci from yeah. um, corner to corner. And it's definitely worth, if you haven't seen it, G, go back and have a look at Furet and uh, Ricci. Definitely I worth a look. Yeah, I definitely like batterings. So if you're telling me that <laughs> she put it on her mic, I'm going to definitely check that out. 100%. Anything uh, worthy before we move on to the main card from the prelims? Because I wanted to mention one other aspect of the prelims, but um, mm -hmm. you, you, you talk to me if I've, if I've missed something. No, Mike, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be Debbie Downer this episode mm. because I just wasn't into all these decisions on the prelims. And I'm the prelim queen. Like, I got your text saying, are you watching these boring ass prelims? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, and G. I, just expose me. <laughs> no, I am going to expose facts, I'm gonna put, You're right. <laughs> I'm going to put our business out, Mike. My bad. But um, yeah, I definitely agreed with you because I fell asleep shortly afterwards. You see that response to you, Mike, I fell asleep. So, <laughs> to be fair, no, I think, you know, considering I kind of like queued this up, teed this up at the top of the show, the mm. other Brit on the card, and you know, obviously I, I've got a watching brief on, mm. uh, on the Brits, um, was Mason Jones. Now, Mason Jones was taking on Alan Patrick. Now for me, after a really shaky start in the UFC, I was really looking forward to, you know, Mace, uh, Mason Jones actually, you know, shining. I, mm -hmm. I really hoped that he'd be putting on a clinic here. And I, I personally thought that for this matchup, he really shined in both rounds. We saw him against a, a pretty wily veteran. When you look at, you know, the, the repertoire of Alan Patrick, when you look at the rep, uh, record of mm -hmm. Alan Patrick as well. But, um, I don't know, man, there's some juju going on here because <laughs> he had um, a little eye poke. From what I could see, it, it was uh, it was definitely um, one worth the stoppage, as in, you know, they obviously get a time to recover. But what I was a little bit kind of like, huh, was when the fight was waved off. Because normally, you know, after the... The, the actual debris from the eye has actually been cleared in terms of the stars and whatnot. You know, usually with an eye poke, you know, after the, the prerequisite um, rest period, they do actually get back to action. Usually MMA athletes find their way back into the fight. Now, okay, some people might be screaming into their headphones, how about Aljo? But fact <laughs> on, that is more kind of like, the um well that that isn't the norm that is more the exception than the rule and mm -hmm. I, I really think that you know mason was uh clearly pissed as he he wouldn't even shake hands with alan patrick at the end when you know they'd actually call this a no contest now Whoa. this has been a little bit of a rocky start for mason jones and i really hope when he gets his um his next um, outing that he really does get to shine because so far um, I was very impressed by this showing anyway and Mason Jones like I say is obviously going to get another opportunity but this was oh, worth, yeah. you know, just from the the juju aspect of what actually went down and the way in which this kind of like you know ended up which is unfortunate for Mason Jones. Yeah and you know this um, topic makes me wonder Mike what do you think about changing the gloves to avoid these eye pokes. I just feel like eye pokes and, and nut shots are like huge right now. So what do you think the answer is to eye pokes to avoid this? It's been placed at 
Dana White's doorstep quite a few times. A lot of uh, entrepreneurial individuals have even sketched out their ideas and um, added Dana White. But we've got, I would say, a blueprint here in that the Bellator gloves are slightly um, curved. And yes, I know that this is a competitor glove. Yes, I know that this is probably going to uh, require some kind of like um, uh, purchase of IP. But mm. the fact is, you know, this is supposedly a way in which the fingers or the hand is curved so that there is less of an opportunity for eye pokes. But really and truly, the athletes need to be responsible as well as the UFC in actually ensuring this doesn't happen. Yes, I know that this is all about distancing. Yes, I know this is a, a way in which um, athletes actually measure, but from what we can see happening week in, week out, and it is a frequent occurrence, something needs to be happening. Something needs to be occurring. And I think it's high time now that the UFC took some responsibility. As I say, this isn't the first time this has happened. This isn't the first time we're having this discussion around gloves. And this, I don't think will be the last time. It's time now that we, you know, kind of like put pressure to bear on the UFC by way of discussion and putting it on the timeline and actually adding him and making sure he's well aware that, you know, this is actually costing him surely and costing us as fans. So yeah, 100% agree. The UFC should definitely do something around the glove issue. Mm -hmm. It kind of lends itself to open palms and straightened fingers. Yeah, really. That's why I asked. I'm like, are we going to do something about this? Because since COVID, that's all we're really seeing. I poke, I poke, I poke. So mm. I, I agree, Mike, something needs to be done. 100%. Mm -hmm. But um, um, moving on to the main card, like I say, mm -hmm. I kind of like woke up mid-walkout with Lipsky and uh, Delarosa. <laughs> and why I was confused, because from my memory, I was thinking, but hold on a minute. Are you telling me that I've missed Tom Breeze? versus Antonio Arroyo. Now, for those who've actually been looking on the timeline, you would have seen a video from, um, um, I think it was uh, Mike Bisping and the commentary team talking mm -hmm. about the fact that Tom Breeze unfortunately had to withdraw from this um, midway through the night in terms of preparing for this because of uh, a medical situation. Now, you and I have talked about this in the past, so I think you know what's coming. Tom Breeze mm -hmm. has spoken quite openly about um, living with anxiety. He has mental health uh, issues and it's circulating around the internet. It's no new news that anxiety could possibly be at play here. When it was announced that it be or it being a medical issue, that's the first thing that came to mind because this isn't the first time that we've had Tom Breeze actually withdraw from a fight. Now, my question to you, um, Sinazo, we're in conversation mode. My question to you is this, it's a little bit of a sticky one, so I feel it needs careful handling, but this isn't the first time that Tom Brees has actually cost the UFC and cost the fans a fight. Mm. This isn't the first time that Tom Brees has actually withdrawn from a fight, whether it be in the run-up to fight night, and that is before and that is just after weigh-ins or in the run-up to the fight, actually on fight night. Are we saying now that Tom Breeze gets another opportunity to possibly put the UFC in this 
awkward position? Or are we saying now, you know, enough is enough? Considering what Tom Brees' record is, considering that this isn't a new phenomenon in terms of him actually withdrawing late notice on the night before the event, what say you about how we handle Tom Brees? How, how, all right, in <laughs> short, how do we handle Tom Brees in light of this? Man, come on. You, why are you asking me? I'm like a softie here. The, the UFC needs to address his um, anxiety issues. It, and I'm pretty much, I'm aware that he struggles with that, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm thinking these last minute changes, you know, for the fights have something to do with that. And if the UFC considers him an asset, I think he is. You know, even with his record, I just think he has the issue with anxiety. If the UFC thinks he's an asset, why not build him up and get him the help that he needs? And I think the UFC also just kind of needs to be, I don't want to say nicer to the fighters, but they do really need to start taking care of them as far as like health wise. I understand this is just an opportunity. I know you love that shit, Mike. Mm. Dana White saying that this is just, you know, an opportunity for you. But I do think the UFC needs to step it up for mental health care for their fighters. You know, in doing that, though, um, mm -hmm. the trigger, surely the catalyst for his anxiety would be fighting, would be opponents. They tried to appease him. And I, I think appease is the wrong word, but it's the one that spe uh, speaks to this in terms of a narrative, because we know that this is supposedly the hardest proving ground on planet Earth in terms of mixed martial arts. But still, they bust in. They actually contracted somebody who was purely there for him to beat up in KB Buller, purely there for him to get his con. Uh, well, his confidence back in the form of KB Buller. This was uh, definitely a step down to the opponents that he has faced. But now we are back in the runnings to actually, you know, step up in an incremental way, his opponent. So mm -hmm. in doing that, are you saying then that we need to take our foot off the, the gas and taking back to the KB Bullers of this world? Because I find that a little bit uncomfortable and I personally would feel a little bit um, disrespected if I were Tom Breeze to be given an opponent where you are basically going to go in there wail upon and to beat up and just like a pinata go right. in there and thrash. I don't think Tom Breeze signed up to be fighting competition that's easy for him or to be dialed back. I just yeah. think he hasn't you know what I mean like I just yeah. think he has an issue with anxiety. I don't think he has an issue being a fighter at all. The problem is, um, you know, his mental health that he's dealing with. And I think if the UFC considers him an asset, well, whether they consider him an asset or not, they have a responsibility to take care of their fighters. And I think they should dial back the competition. No, but fix the problem at hand, which is his mental health and anxiety. And I'm not saying you can fix it, but they need to yeah. take care of the guy. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's what I was going to like, going to leap in there. I'm glad you kind of mm. like, um, kind of gave a little bit of context to the word fix, because you're right, you can't fix it. No. But you can live successfully with um, a mental health condition. You can live successfully with anxiety, but it takes therapy. It does actually take doing something, being proactive about it. And part of that proactivity, I have to say, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Perhaps they cut him. But in cutting him, oh, they give him the help that they need that he needs. In mm. that he does need therapy. He does need possibly um, some form of assistance with 
um, I suppose, living with that condition. And part of the anxiety, as I kind of like mentioned earlier, surely is the anxiety attached to white night? Is the anxiety attached to the lead up? Is the anxiety of actually preparing on um, the hours leading up to the fight? So do you see what I mean? In taking yeah. away that anxiety and that is, you no longer have a contract or contract with the UFC, but we are going to assist you so that when, you know, you do feel that your therapy has got you to a place where um, you are feeling as though you can handle the highs and the lows of the UFC, they would be very pleased to have him back. Possibly giving him... Um, the therapy which is keeping him in the fight game so taking it back to the regional circuit where he racks up wins where he gets his confidence back works through the therapy at the same time but with the UFC's assistance so they kind of mm -hmm. I suppose in a way um, assist him with that therapy but with the full yeah. knowledge that look when you are ready when you feel as though the time is right you can actually come back to the UFC. But I don't think that he should be written off and that is cut, thrown out um, like some kind of like written off fighter. I do feel he does need help with therapy. He does need help with anxiety. And part of that is actually acknowledging what is the trigger? What is the catalyst for um, what is an ongoing issue? Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I'm, I'm with you on this one, Mike, and I like the plan that you have laid out for him because it's unfortunate. I think he needs help. You know, this is like, it, it, I feel like you're alluding to him maybe having some type of crisis or anxiety before the fight and it's causing him to have like last minute, you know, changes, which affects the fans, the UFC and him. So I'm totally on board with your plan, Mike. He needs yeah. assistance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying that um, as somebody who works quite closely with those who live with mental health um, conditions, mm -hmm. um, that's part of the issue that one, there is a stigma around mental health conditions and in stigmatizing it, that makes that person feel even worse. That exacerbates the condition. And I feel that, you can live successfully with a mental health condition, but you have to acknowledge that you are part of the therapy in that acknowledging you have an issue, acknowledging um, that anxiety is set off, triggered by, and um, perhaps identifying what that is, that's mm -hmm. the way to actually move forward. You cannot paper over the cracks because then you have situations like this. Now, I'm going off the fact that this has been what the previous issues have been. That is why he has not fought. I'm going off the fact that he has been very open about his condition, but what we're not hearing enough of is what support the UFC are giving him. How is his condition being managed? And what sort of ongoing help he will have? So acknowledging that, dealing with that will help him, I suppose, um, take that step forward. Totally agree, yeah. But going back to fight action, I was surprised um, that, you know, uh, Lipsky and La or De La Rosa, um, that was Marianne, Marianne um, Montana, sorry, De La Rosa mm -hmm. and Ariana Lipsky were bumped up to the uh, main card. And that was the reason why. Um, what did you make of this fight? I didn't catch this fight, so you're going to fill me in. <laughs> well, first of all, I was kind of impressed 
that that um, Lipsky had actually acknowledged her shortcomings in previous fights and actually, you know, took her game up a notch by taking it over to ATT. Now, this was obviously her time there was spent refining her striking ambition and her striking prowess. And the violence queen looked really improved. She looked sharpened. She looked in terms of her skill set improved. Not so much though, improved on her back. When she was put on the ground by Montella De La Rosa, who clearly sees the violence queen, um, her kryptonite being on her back, um, it was unfortunate to see because you know what your kryptonite is, you know what your weakness is. Go to ATT to sharpen all of your skill set, <laughs> not just one facet of it. And De La Rosa, I have to say, split her eyebrow open or her Ooh. eyebrow open like some kind of money box. There was a mm. big gash over her eye. And I suppose in the first round, you know, Lipsky weathered that uh, weathered that storm but you know she had blood blood actually running down her face and that kind of I suppose speaks to the violence queen um approach that she has even though she was having violence enacted upon her she was still marching forward in the second round but again taken down and those elbows basically finished her in the second where Montana De La Rosa um, basically took her to a TKO in the second. And they were relentless. I'm talking like rained blows like over and over again mm. in the same spot. And all I could see was just, you know, Lipsky turtling up. And it looked, it looked kind of unfortunate given how good she looked on her feet. But man, ATT need to help her. Um, when she actually gets to the ground, needs to help her how to work up her back. And she had a little bit of success tying up um, Montana De La Rosa's hands in the first round when she was taken down, but that isn't the game plan that will actually see you actually weathering the storm because De La Rosa was just relentless with it. Mm, I'm going to watch this fight as you soon need as you... <laughs> You're right. As soon as we're done with this, I'm watching that fight because I also I'm intrigued by Lipsky because she came to the UFC with so much hype. She's got that cool um, nickname with the Queen of Violence or mm -hmm. some, the Violence Queen, something Violence like Queen. that. Yeah, but unfortunately, she's having a hot, cold career. Like she's, you know, she's taken two losses now. Before that, she had two wins. She's inconsistent, and I agree with you, Mike, that to work on her, to be consistent, she's got to work on her ground game. And yes. she's at ATT, like you said, perfect place to do so. So hopefully we see her turn around. But I don't know how her career is panning out. I wonder what type of changes she's going to make, because she has to make. In the back of my mind, I've got it in my head that the UFC have seized upon her popularity because she was very popular in her previous promotion, KSW. And they've kind of like got that as their return um, or one of the fighters, they're lit there, they, they're hanging their, 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 I suppose, enthusiasm for a return to Poland. So I think that she's going to be kind of like built back up because um, I, I can see them kind of like pinning their hopes of, you know, making her the reason why um, I suppose they put on another card in, in, in Poland. But moving forward, uh, Disco Torovic, 
and Gregory Rodriguez. What did you make of this? Um, I fell asleep on this. I thought this fight was hella boring. Hella boring. Nothing. What'd you think? I didn't actually uh, fall asleep on this because I watched the main card um, in, the, in the early hours of this morning in terms of like when I got up, I just thought I went mm-hmm. through it. Rodriguez, I have to say, performed really well in this, his uh, UFC debut, and he looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, though, he used um, Tarovic's um, head as a pinata man. I mean, <laughs> I'm not being mean here to say that Disco, his head is unusually hard. So you cut away, unusually big. So you can't actually miss that. But it's unusually right. hard as well because he wasn't getting knocked out, but he was getting banged about. And it seemed like that was the target. You know, Rodriguez is using that to kind of like, basically target practice. Right, right, right. I mean, Dusko does kind of have that like big cone head type of head. So I'm not really mad at Gregory from what I'm hearing. <laughs> I know we're being, <laughs> but it's facts, man. He's no, facts, it's facts. You know, his head is big. Yeah, I, he probably knows his head is big. I don't even feel like we being mean, Mike. It is what it is. You know what I'm saying? But I don't know, Mike, is it worth going back? Because when I tried to watch this, I was out. Put it this way, it was one mm-hmm. of the decisions which you can actually uh, skip over for the night. Some I of them are definitely so. worth having a look at, like yeah. what we're going to go on to next, and that is Santiago Ponzinibbio and Miguel Baez. This was, for me, the fight of the night. Baez oh, hell yeah. had Ponzinibbio hurt with those relentless leg kicks in yes. the first round. It was a great fight. I loved how Ponzinibbio stayed in the fight he was relentless then with yes. those jabs. I thought he was going to be kind of like falling over from those relentless legs. Me too. Talk about weathering the storm. I was surprised that they were both standing at the end because what a fight. What a basically <laughs> relentless showcase of heart. What did you make of this? Uh, to- I'm sitting here just agreeing with you. I could start clapping with every word <laughs> that you're saying, Mike. I'm to- Same thing. I think... Both of them showed hard. I know a lot of people went crazy in the third round because Santiago did like pull it out his ass and started to really, you know, land those one twos, really start to be accurate even more. And he was more ferocious, more aggressive in the third round. But you got to give it up for Miguel Baeza for standing in front of him and really giving him that dogfight. But man, Mike, I am a fan of Santiago Ponzinibbio. I was happy to see him kind of like eat these kicks, even though I know they were bothering him, but I loved his poker face. Cause it's like you said, Mike, it was just like, you know, that shit hurts Santiago. Why, you know what I mean? Like, why are you still standing? Right. But he was like, you know what? I suffered a loss. I got knocked out on my ass by Jing, Jing Lang mm. and he's getting older, but he's still a really good fighter. So he had to prove a point. And that's what he did by like pulling it out his ass and really taking over it towards the end of the third round, which made the fight so exciting, Mike, yeah. because it was just it just it, it was a barn burner to begin with. But the third round, they both turned it up and Santiago was like, nah, man. I want this and I'm taking it. And he did. And I loved his, I loved the fury. I loved the passion afterwards. Like Michael Bisming could barely even interview him. He was like, come on, come on, come here, come here. He's like still <laughs> screaming and shit. But I felt that. I felt that it was, it was dire straits in that situation. He had to win. 100%. Yeah. I wish that there was that um, level of passion, <clears throat> excuse me, in, um, 
the Lidzay and um, Staropoli. Um, oh, I'm God. Quickly skip over this one because that wasn't a decision to write home about. But, you know, speaking of writing home about, um, Walt Harris and uh, Martin Tibera. Now, I know that this was covered a lot. You know, obviously the fact that, you know, Walt Harris suffered a tragedy. And since then, I know this is wrong, so I'll preface it by saying this, but I just want to see him win. I want to see him take out what must be wrath, must be rage, must be pent-up aggression as to, you know, what actually happened um, in, 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 you know, the tragedy that he actually went through with his stepdaughter um, being murdered in the way that she was. I just want to see him win. I just want to see him actually unleash unleash the Walt Harris that we know is capable and under the hood. But, you know, fair play to Marcin uh, Tibero with that um, that TKO. It was kind of like sad to see, you know, he was yeah. almost flattened out Walt Harris and taking blow after blow and um, almost kind of like being, I, I suppose, rescued by the referee in yeah. that being, yeah. being stopped in the way that it was. What did you make of this? I actually, I like this fight because I got excited very quickly when I saw typical Walt Harris, which means he's a beast in the first round and he lands heavy shots. And that's, yeah. what, the, and that's what the fuck he was doing mm. to um, Tabura. But Tabura kept his composure and he was just like, I'm not going down from these heavy shots. And he did the right thing. He tied him up in the clinch. He tried to wrestle him and he survived more importantly because man, Walt was unleashing. But here's the issue with Walt. Mike. Mm. He starts off too fast and he doesn't pick his shots. He's just going to go in there and nail you. And he also has an issue with like being taken down and getting back up. That's something he also, like Ariana Lipsky, Walt got to work on that too. Yeah. And, and um, Tabura exposed that. He immediately, he tripped him, took him down, flattened him out and he ground and pounded him. Mm. And Tabura is a little tricky of a fighter. Like he's actually on a really good run but I just don't really find his fights exciting. And I don't see fans clamoring for him to fight in the top five. And it doesn't seem like Tibura wants to either. Like when they asked him who you want to fight next, he was just like, I don't know, maybe the milkman. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like he just was like chilling. But Mike, I will add that mm. I think all of us want Walt Harris to win yeah. every fucking time he fights. Like as UFC fans, whenever he fights, we all just like redemption, do it, get yeah. it. And, he just he needs a little bit more work before we get on that bandwagon you know like and i'm a little nervous for him man he's got three losses in a row yeah his his family suffered a tragedy you wonder if this is affecting him or is this just about a lack of skill with the takedown defense and just honing in those killer shots so but my heart breaks because of the tragedy and now he's on a three fight losing streak that can't feel good I don't understand if it were him coming out tentatively, him, um, you know, basically playing the outside, but he hasn't, as you say, he came forward aggressively and, you know, yep. it was, it was, it was classic Walt Harris. Classic Walt what Harris, is yes. Tonight is when he's actually on his back on the ground, anything that actually takes place on the ground, that's his kryptonite. So, Absolutely. Really, truly, it wasn't any surprise that Tibera, you know, capitalized on that. I, I would, would hate to think that, you know, the family tragedy, um, you know, is affecting it, his it, career it is what's actually, you know, blighting his career because yeah. I don't know how you come back from that because man, I, I, I can't I just, imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. 
Grief is something else, Mike, and grief does the talking. So it can be a year, it can be 10 years, you go with Mm. the flow of grief. So Mm. who knows what he's really going through? Does he also need that redemption win? We're sitting here talking about, oh, we want him to win. I'm sure he does too, especially for his daughter and everything he's been through. So can you imagine how he feels? Yeah, yeah. Man. 100%, you've nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of nailing it. Jarzinho Rosenstruck and uh, Augusto mm. uh, Sakai. What did you reckon of these big boys? I know you don't like the heavyweights. I just nope. let everybody know, but what did you reckon of these two boys? Well, it was a heavyweight fight that I favor. It ended in All the right. first damn round by knockout. That's what you're looking for by heavyweights. I just think it's really, really interesting that um, Rosenstruck has this habit of like coming alive between the last 10 seconds of the fight and really just <laughs> yeah. nailing people at the end. And Mike, I'm kind of confused. A part of me is like, is that a part of the game plan? Or is that just kind of like what's happening with him? Is it coincidental? Like, oh shit, I see an opening, but it's always at the end of the round. Like I'd love to like find out if it's if that's technique a part of the game plan or is he just getting that lucky avenue and it just happens to be at the end of the round. Nonetheless, yeah. it was beautiful. I think it was a left hook that um, got him, that got uh, um, Sakai. And then Rosenstruck just followed up, ground and pounded him. And then he did that typical walk away, beat his chest, calm as a motherfucker, but dangerous. You know what I'm saying? So he's back in the game. My question for you, though, mm. and I'm going to put a little spin onto it and give you my perspective. Okay. I am not ready for Rosenstruck to be thrown back into the wolves. I want him to get like one more knockout or one more win before we put him back towards title contention yeah and i think i think a good fight for him would be you know quiet as a mouse don't know who to fight next tibura why not you and tibura should have called out the winner of that fight i was He's gonna... not go ahead, go ahead. no go on, go on i interrupted you go on because i feel like marcin himself knows that he doesn't also want to be in title contention yet like you can i from his response i'm thinking he still wants to get experience and fight people like walt harris yada yada why not call out the winner of rosenstroke and augusto sakai because i don't think neither one of them are ready for title contention just yet i mean we saw what francis did to rosenstroke mm. and he lost to, to gain so give him one more and then we'll talk about pushing him closer why not have him fight to I like that. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. But, you know, when you were speaking before you kind of like queued up that question, in the back mm-hmm. of my mind, I had Greg Hardy. I just want to see. Oh, I just want to see, see him killed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and thrown on a pile of guns. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, well, we got to make sure that um, Ty Tuivasa does that first, because that's who Greg Hardy is fighting yeah, next. next. Yeah. So put your juju and good vibes with Ty <laughs> first, and then hopefully um, Rosenstruck gets his hands on him afterwards, or somebody knocks his ass out, because I'm, you know, pro, get him out of here. <laughs> I've got a question to you, to you just before we wrap up, as mm-hmm. uh, we come to the uh, top of the card, as it were. But um, Herb Dean actually jumping in with one second to spare. Do we love that or do we hate that? Bearing in mind, let me set this up properly. Let me laugh. <laughs> Bearing in mind, you and I are, I would say, one of Herb Dean's biggest detractors. You and I constantly talk about Herb Dean not jumping in to save people. You and I mm-hmm. uh, are very critical of this man. Was this the right call with one second to spare? Now, bearing in mind, he heard the clapper like those two boys who were in there tussling heard the clapper. And the fact that you could quite clearly see Sakai was actually trying to um, 
improved position and to get out of the way. And he knew that there was 10 seconds to spare. Was Herb Dean right to jump in with one second to spare? Yes, absolutely. I think Herb Dean makes mistakes out the ass. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think he makes a lot of mistakes, but I think he's the type of ref that's been working there so long that he's, you know, maybe he's just getting, you know, making a lot of mistakes here because he's a veteran and has time on, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. I think he did the right thing. I think Sakai had nothing left. Rosenstruck was pounding on him and he stopped the fight. That's how I see it. And it doesn't matter if it was one second left or whatnot. Um, Sakai could no longer go further and Rosenstruck was putting the beating on him. So you stopped yeah. the fight. And I agree with her. But he still makes a lot of motherfucking mistakes. Like, <laughs> but not this time. Not this time. Wow. Okay. Well, just before we wrap up, um, I just wanted to say um, the timeline has been kind of like buzzing uh, today because Ariel Hawani has um, notified his followers and fans and people who, you know, are intrigued and beguiled by his work that June 15th is going to be his last day at mm. ESPN. Now, I know that this is going to come up in Shot Fired in midweek because um, you and I um, are going to be meeting up with Kairos and Chisanga to discuss what we bring to the table in terms of talking points. And this is one which I'm sure is going to um, come up. But I just wanted to publicly say, Eri Hawani has been nothing but generous to me over the last 11 years. And uh, it pains me to see him um, not realize his dream and stay at ESPN. And I'm just sorry to see him go. I think it's more of a loss to ESPN than um, the other way round. I think they need Helwani. Helwani doesn't need ESPN. He can go and make a success of any platform that he actually goes and uh, does the business with. And uh, again, like I say, I just really want to keep this short and, and, and sweet as we will be kind of mm -hmm. like with ever so slightly. But I just wanted to say that because it's, it's I, I reckon obviously for Helwani leaving uh, ESPN, a platform which he has aspired to be on, and um, seeing the way that kind of like panned out, especially with Dana White's um, ire at, uh, you know, <laughs> his involvement, well, um, Helwani's involvement in ESPN, um, I'm just like, you know, a little bit kind of like bummed out how this has actually panned out for Helwani. But what did you quickly just, uh, you know, make make of that just before we wrap up um bitch i was like oh we're gonna talk about this on shots fired that's what i made of it i i, I still don't have a grasp of exactly what happened so i can't mm. wait till we all get together and we cluck like we normally do because i want to know what happened look i'm already telling the person whose segment it is i want to know what happened i want to i want the deets i want the details and I think we really need to break this down because he is just huge for the sport and for him mm -hmm. to walk away from ESPN. Now that's something. And I can't wait to see what it's about. 100%. Speaking of can't wait to see what it's about on Saturday, this coming Saturday, and that's Saturday the 12th, before the fights kick off at 9 p.m. GMT and uh, actually BST, British Summertime, and 4 p.m. EST. Eastern Standard Time will be in conversation, and that is the entire Shot Spied crew will be in conversation with Brianna 
Brianna Frost. Now, for those mm. who have been following Brianna Frost, you'll know that she's a massive um, UFC fan. So we'll be breaking down a few uh, bits and pieces which relate to the fights, but also her backstory as a porn star stroke, um, I suppose, purveyor of her skills and wares via OnlyFans. So uh, check out Spaces, follow either myself or G to get involved in that conversation which is taking place on Saturday. Now, until we actually meet again on, uh, well, I suppose the uh, midweek edition of Shots Fired, we'll be careful now. Yes. Yes.